If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. You can go grab one and borrow it if you need to borrow it. If you need a Bible that you can keep and hold on to, please feel free to do that. It's our gift to you. If you have one of those Bibles, it's on page 948. Um, We're going to continue. We're actually just kind of wrap up this series uh, I didn't really intend it to be this much of a series, but here it is. Uh, and thinking about transformation and where I want to try to uh, want to get today is where transformation leads, that it actually takes us somewhere. Uh, when God works the work that he works in our lives and changes our lives and renovates us, transforms us, um, that he's doing that with a purpose, that, that there is a earthly and a heavenly purpose. Uh, so we are, we are fitted, if you will, to, to live with him forever, the renovation of our lives. I'm ready us to live with him forever, but there's also an earthly purpose, and it's that earthly purpose that Paul turns to in this passage, and it's also what we want to talk about today. Um, just to, to recap here, uh, in, in the, the first couple of verses of Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that we, you would present your bodies, in other words, your entire lives as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. And the way that we live uh, as sacrifices that is holy and acceptable to God is by giving only a portion of our lives to Him, right? Hello? All right, hold on. Click, click. Is it, is it on? Just want to make... Okay, yeah. By giving a portion of our lives to Him, yes? No. How much do we give to Him? All of our lives. That's how we live a life that is holy and acceptable to God, is by living our life as worship. So our uh, uh, relationship to God uh, affects every portion of our lives, whether it's work or neighbors or family or uh, friendship or sexuality or money or whatever it may be. We give all of our lives to Him. That's what we do. And that, as we present our lives to him, he begins the process of of renewing us, transforming us, shaping us into something new so that we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of our minds so that we understand what God's will is. And that that transformation looks and sounds like this, uh, that that God doesn't, we've two weeks now, hit it this third week, that God doesn't want us to obey but to be the kind of people, to transform us into the kind of people who routinely and joyfully obey. He doesn't just want us to obey, but he wants to transform us into the kind of people who routinely and joyfully obey. Routinely meaning what? That when God says this is what we're supposed to do, our instinct, if you will, our reflex, if you will, because we're transformed, our spiritual reaction to what God says is go, yep, that's what we're going to do. And so the things that he says to us don't sound crazy, like forgive those who've harmed you. We, we look at that and we're like, yep, that's what we're going to do because we're routinely um, obeying him. We're transformed so that we are routinely obeying. Hey, uh, bless those who persecute you. Now, to us, I mean, to the untransformed life, that sounds like crazy talk. But bless those who, excuse me, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. That sounds like crazy talk to the transformed life. If the mind is being renewed, like Paul says, that, that sounds like, oh yeah, that's a good way to go. That's what we want to do right there. We reflexively, if you will, we spiritually, in, our spiritual instincts are changed to where that doesn't sound crazy. That actually sounds like the best way. And because not only is it God's way, but it's also the best way, uh, because that's the case, we do so with joy. We routinely and joyfully obey. Meaning we know that it's the best way, so we're going to do so with joy. And our joy uh, uh, allows us not to go through uh, life as obedient mad people. Er, 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 
this is what I have to do. But instead, what do we get to do? We get to respond with joy, and that joy catches other people up, and it brings them along with us in this kingdom adventure. And so transformation uh, leads to a place. God is doing this for a reason, and it leads to a place, and that's what I want to talk about uh, today. Really just two points. We'll get to them here in just a second. Let's read the text together, though. Starting in verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, uh, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, as in one body we have many members, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So uh, the, the two things I want to get to today are the, these two things. First statement is this, that transformation leads somewhere. And where does it lead? It leads to humility. Transformation leads to humility, uh, which by the way, I don't know if you noticed this or not, just maybe just think about it for just like half like a quarter of a second, and realize that actually humility is in short supply today. People are not marked by this. Nobody walks around and goes, oh yeah, you know, humility, that guy, that's a, that's a virtue right there. I see that in there. No, no, no. They talk about pride. They talk about accomplishments. They talk about a hundred other things, but humility is in very short supply. And transformation, the kind of uh, transformation that God brings to us and works in us, the renovation that he does in us, that leads to humility. Let's see this in the text. Look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I almost fell down all of a sudden. That would have been humiliating. I don't know why. That, let's, okay, let's get settled up here. Okay, one more time. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God um, has assigned. So uh, transformation leads to humility, and there's, there's two dangers here. Uh, one is explicitly mentioned in the text. The other is implicitly mentioned. Uh, the first danger is this, that we would do exactly what verse 3 says we ought not to do, and that is to think too highly of yourself. And again, we don't have anybody in our world right now who's thinking too highly of themselves, right? Nobody? Anywhere? Uh, okay, th thinking too highly of yourself sounds something like this. Well, look at what I've done. Look at what I own. Look at who I know. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, look, look at what I can do. Uh, look at who I'm in charge of, that kind of thing. When you think about power, you think about your pedigree, you think about your accomplishments, the gifts that you have, the family tree that you come from, the prestige that is yours, uh, any authority that you may have in whatever situation, that you, uh, any um, uh, uh, power to do something or not do something, any network that you're a part of, any relationship uh, that you are in or can tap uh, in order to get what you need. That's thinking too highly of yourself. And Paul says, the kind of transformation that God brings to our lives through the renewing of our minds, that kind of transformation breaks all of that off of us. Is it a slow process at times? Yes. Is it painful at times? Absolutely. Are there times where humiliation will have to lead to, hu lead to humility? Yes. But the transformation that God brings takes us to a place where we are humble before God and those around us. Humility. Transformation leads to humility. So we don't think of ourselves uh, uh, too highly. 
The, the other way that this happens, though, and it's the same thing, even though it sounds different, it's the same thing. The other danger implicit in this is that you think too highly of your shame. You think too highly of your shame, and that goes something like this. Well, I got too much stuff in my past. I got too much stuff in my present. There's just, I mean, I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. I'm too jacked up. There's too much going on. I'm too addicted. I'm too problematic. I'm too whatever. Like, there's no way that ever, I mean, like ever, I'm just, I'm no good to anybody. Somebody said, flew the banner over my life at some point. You'll never amount to anything, and I am here to tell you that I am living up to that. The reason why thinking too highly of yourself is, is uh, the opposite of humility is pretty clear. The, the reason why thinking too highly of your shame is less clear, but here's the thing. Both, in both situations, thinking too highly of yourself and thinking too highly of your shame, in both of those situations, what you're saying is, I know better than God what to think about me. I know better than God what to think about me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, there's a, a, a quote, if you will, from uh, Rick Warren as he defined, uh, as he defined um, humility. And I, I think this is really great. He, he says this, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's, it's, just, it's just an unseating of yourself. In both of the two dangers, whether I'm high or whether I'm low, uh, really what I'm doing is thinking about myself too much. And in this case, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in this case, what, what is happening is we're just beginning to think of ourselves less. That's what we're doing. And it's an important, it's important skill to carry forward, and transformation allows that to actually happen. It allows us to think of ourselves less. Not thinking less of ourselves, just thinking less of ourselves. When we do that, we actually do what the, what the book says. Uh, we, we have sober judgment. If we're thinking too highly of ourselves, if we're thinking too lowly of ourselves, then we're not using sober judgment. We're not living according to the standard of God. And really, that's the only standard that matters. God's standard is the absolute only standard that matters. So do me a favor. Uh, take your Bible here. and about mine, In my Bible, it's about four pages or so to the right. Will you turn four pages to the right to the the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul emphasizes here uh, that God's standard is the only standard. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And just pause here. This is not the point I really want to make, but it's the point I need to make in this moment. Let's just remember this, that faithfulness is going to be the measure, okay? Faithfulness, not accomplishment, faithfulness. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is where I wanted to get verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In other words, I'm, I'm not taking input outside of what God has said. I know that people want to say things about me, but actually it's a small thing. In fact, look, look at what he continues on. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Why? Verse 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself. In other words, i got a clean conscience, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. You see that? God's standard is the only standard that matters. And when we pick up our Bibles and when we spend time in prayer, here's what we find. That God has two, uh, two statements, if you will, in his standard that are powerful and shaping for you and for me. And the first one goes something like this. You're way worse than you think. Well, that's not very nice. 
let me just ask you this, and you ponder this. I mean, soberly. Remember, we're talking about sober judgment here. Ponder this, though. How many of you are about two bad decisions from making an absolute train wreck of your life? And the answer is, all of us. Two bad decisions, and all of a sudden, we're in the headlines somewhere. You're worse than you think. And what that does, church family, listen, this is not a bad thing to remember. It's not a bad thing for God to speak to us, because what that does is keep us on alert. It keeps us on alert to say, hey, listen, I know that I'm too bad decisions from absolutely destroying everything that I currently hold valuable or say that I hold valuable and dear. So I just want to be on alert. I want to be on alert that I don't put myself in these situations and I don't give input um, to that stuff or those people. And I don't want to set my eyes on things that are unworthy. And I don't want to listen or take in or, or think about or whatever it may be. I, I, I know that this is true about me. And so I want, to, I want to offload all of that stuff and say, hey, I'm way worse than I could possibly think. Like, I'm, I'm way worse than I think. But at the exact same time, there's a comma, not a period. Because the second part is, and you are more loved than you could ever imagine. Well, how does God love me in this state? He does. He loves you in that state. Well, how could God love me if I've done this? He does. That's the beautiful part. You're more loved than you could ever imagine. And so for me, folks, listen, this sounds like the gospel to me. But because when we're worse than we think and more loved than we can imagine, that sounds like the gospel because Jesus had to die. Why? He didn't come and have to just make a few things right. He had to die. Why? Because we're way worse than we think. It's not as if uh, a little miracle here or a little thing there uh, would, would fix the problem. We're way worse than we think. He had to come and die, but he did come and die. And so we are more loved than we can ever imagine. And whereas one keeps us alert, the fact that we are more loved than we can ever imagine, that keeps us secure and connected to God. And that is the only standard by which you should measure yourself is God's standard, that we are way worse than we think, but we are also incredibly more loved than we could ever possibly imagine. You want a place of humility, a place that frees you from thinking about yourself and allows you to think about others instead? You know, that's the place to start. God's standard is the only standard, and the transformation that he brings frees us from ourselves, frees us to think about others, and it, and it, it is rooted in the gospel. That's what humility looks like. Secondly, um, humility then leads to ministry. Transformation leads to humility, but humility leads to ministry. Why? Why does it lead to ministry? Why is, this, why is it necessarily so? Well, number one, the Bible says so, but secondly, uh, because when we're not thinking about us, we're thinking about other people. We're free to think about all the people who are around us. Uh, when we're not concerned or consumed with our own stuff, we're free to look out and go, oh, here's a person. Oh, look, they have needs. Guess what I'm going to do? Huh, I probably can help in this moment. Oh, here's a person over here, and they've got this thing going on. I think I might be able to actually step in and do something about that. I think I will. Hey, here's this group over here, and I've got some resources that might be able to, to help in that situation. So guess what? I'm, I'm going to step in and do that. When, we, uh, when God works the work of transformation in our life, and it brings humility to us so that we're free from this, um, being consumed with ourselves, and, and that, that selfishness gets dislodged in us, we're then free to think about others. And that normally leads to ministry. That's what happens. Transformation leads to humility. Humility leads to ministry. Let's see how he works this out here. Look at verse 4. 
For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He's setting up here what he's going to say. I'll just bring it to you in these two statements. Number one, um, as God works humility in us and then sets us free from ministry, he does so in a way that we are two things. Number one, we are united. We're united. This does not mean we're uniform. Not everybody in here is the same. You have different experiences, different passions, different gifts. You have stuff that's different, and that's a good thing. That's actually a beautiful thing. The diversity, uh, instead of uniformity, the diversity is actually good, and it's beautiful. And, and when, it's, when it says we are united, he says here that we are one body in Christ. What is he saying? He said that we are, yes, relationally connected to one another. It speaks to relationship. We really are tied to one another. In other words, we really are our brother's keeper. We really are responsible for one another and accountable to one another. We really are. We're united. And that's, that's the context in which ministry begins to happen and take place. But secondly, we're not only united, we're also unified. So he says uh, at, at the end of verse uh, 4 here, all the members do not all have the same function. In other words, there is something that we are supposed to be doing. This speaks to purpose. Again, not uniformity. We're unified. We're not uniform. What that means is you and I, were, were you um, unified around this purpose of seeing the kingdom of God come in our lives and in the world around us? Uh, and then he goes on to talk about these gifts. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then he says something. Let us use them. Let us use them. Having gifts. So these gifts that God gives us, these spiritual gifts, they are for ministry. Uh, we don't do much talk about spiritual gifts around here. Honestly, it's just we, we employ them more than we talk about them, which I think is probably the best thing. Uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit this morning. Uh, but let me just give you a couple of things here. <clears throat> One, uh, spiritual gifts, uh, th they are not for showing off. This was the problem in 1 Corinthians that Paul was talking about. They had all these, oh, look what I can do, you know, as if he's a magician. The Holy Spirit's like, you know, the power that makes you pull the rabbit out of the head or something like that. Uh, that's not what this is about. Why? Because it's not about you. Whose gift is it? The Holy Spirit's gift to you. It's not you. It's not like, oh, look at me. That, that, that's the, you're missing the whole point. In fact, humility dislodges you from you. You remember that? So, but because, uh, because it's not about us, we then don't have to show off, nor do we have to be jealous of somebody else's gift. This is not about showing off. And secondly, some people make the mistake of showing off. Some people make the mistake of thinking that spiritual gifts are the test of Christian maturity. Spiritual fruit, uh, excuse me, spiritual gifts are not the test of Christian maturity, uh, of spiritual maturity. Spiritual fruit is. You want to know if a person is mature? Look for the fruit of the Spirit, not the gift of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that you look for to measure a person's spiritual maturity, not whether or not they have certain gifts. That having been said, he does tell us to do something with them. What does he say? Use them. Having been giving these gifts, he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, use them. Spiritual gifts are to be used. Um, so there's this beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 2. You just write this down and go look it up later. This is Ephesians 2 verses 8, 9, and 10. Paul says this, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. That's a beautiful passage about how God saves us. 
Not of our own doing. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. But God does it because he's like that. That's what he does. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, for, or because, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. We, we are God's uh, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. When God brought us into his family, put us in his kingdom, he did so for a purpose, to do good works. Let me ask you this. Is this world in need of anybody who's going to do good works? You got anybody in your life, in your world, who needs the kingdom of God to come in such a way that, they, that there's good works? That, yes, you do. And God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we come along here, and, and Paul says to us in this passage here, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let's put these gifts to use because there's a world that's broken and busted out there. He goes on to list seven of these gifts, and I, I want to just touch on them, highlight them so that you uh, uh, can, can see them. Just for clarity's sake, these, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. This is not the only place that the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. Uh, but let's just walk through these. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. First one, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. What is prophecy? Prophecy is timely insights from God. Timely insights from God. I'll just give you an example. Sometimes people come up to me afterwards um, and, and they say something like, hey man, you were speaking to me today. You were speaking to me. Uh, and there are two things that are true. Number one, uh, if, if that indeed was the case uh, and you, know, you, you felt something there, you, uh, something timely in your life, uh, what that was, that was, that was something prophetic that was happening there. These are timely insights. Secondly, let's be clear, it was not me speaking. That's God's business right there. Because sometimes you'll come up and say things like that, and I'll be like, I had no idea that was going on in your life. Who did? The Holy Spirit did. So he took that and he applied it to you in that particular situation. That, that is, that's, that's working in the prophetic realm right there. So these are timely insights from God. Um, and uh, when we do so uh, like that, we don't speak outside of what we've experienced because it's not about us at all. We don't have to conflate anything, tell a fish tale. It just gets bigger and bigger. No, no. We just speak what God uh, has said, a timely insight. The second one is service. He goes on, verse 7, if service in our serving. It's kind of a funny little phrase there, if service in our serving. That's kind of weird. I'll explain why here in just a second. But service is work that we do on behalf of others to the glory of God. Uh, in, in this list, there are things that um, uh, that we as a church and, and individual followers of Jesus, we need to discipline ourselves to do. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, nobody, no individual follower of Jesus gets to opt out of serving others. Like, you, you don't get that option to say, eh, that's not really my spiritual gift, sorry. Hey, sweet lady who lives next door, uh, who's a widow, I know you really need your grass mowed and stuff, but it's not really, I mean, mowing grass is not my spiritual gift, so thanks. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. That's not how that goes. Uh, instead, uh, everybody gets an opportunity to serve, and we get to get our hands dirty when, when that happens. Th this is a, a spiritual gift that, that brings the kingdom of God to bear in people's lives when, when it's in operation. 
This is a unique thing. And so some of you have gifts of service where you just, you're excited about doing these things, yes, but also when you do them, the kingdom comes. Like something happens in the spiritual realm uh, in these people's lives. And he says service, uh, if you're going to do service in our serving, what in the world does that mean? That means it has to operate in accordance with what it actually is because there are people who want to go serve and then brag about it on Facebook later. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now you go... That's not serving. There are people who want to serve and then go gripe about it. Well, I had to... Both of those things, they're about you, not about the serving. So therefore, it's not in accordance with the gift itself. Paul says, hey, if you're going to exercise this gift of serving, do so as a servant, meaning it's not about you at all. You don't have to tell anybody. <clears throat> He goes on verse in the middle of verse 7. If service, then are serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. Teaching is passing on the truth of God's word. It's passing on the truth of God's word. Uh, what, what does this look like? Uh, let me just pause here, just pastorally. If I could put my finger on a spiritual gift that's prominent in our church, it's this one right here. We've got, I'm just scanning the room, scan the 832. We've got some great gifted teachers that God has blessed us with. That's why we make much of Bible study and Sunday school and small groups and that kind of thing, because we want you learning from this. Why? Because teaching is passing on the truth of God's word, but it's not dissemination of information. Don't miss this. This is really important. The spiritual gift of teaching is not helping somebody understand that spiritually speaking, two and two is four, and then them regurgitating it back to them. That's not how that goes. That's how school works, right? You go to school, two and two is four, going to spit it back to me. Why? Because there's a test coming, right? And you're, you know, funding for your school or whatever it is depends on it, right? That, I mean, that's how that works. This is not that. This is a spiritual thing. You're not disseminating information. You're doling out treasure. That's what you're doing. We go to the dentist, my, little, my, my kid's dentist, and assuming they haven't uh, uh, kicked, screamed, or punched anybody, when, when it's all said and done, they get to get up from the little chair here, and they get to walk over to the treasure box. I got one almost 12, one 10, and one 4, and every one of and I got another one who's 14, who's a little bit older and past this, but uh, the, the, the younger three, they still love it. I mean, it's, it's, a tre it's what you would expect, right? I mean, just small little thing, treasure, and they go get it. Oh, I got a treasure, right? Uh, uh, when we're checking out at the grocery store or wherever, uh, the four-year-old's sitting in the buggy doing her thing, looks at the little checker person, can I have a sticker? Can I have a sticker? And when, when, when said sticker gets handed, it's like, oh, oh, sticker, as if she had been handed uh, the crown jewels or something, right? We're not disseminating information. The spiritual gift of teaching is not disseminating information. It's doling out treasures. And, and here's how you know if you've got a gifted teacher in the room. If people walk away and they say, oh, what a great teacher. Versus, oh, what a great truth I just heard. Like, I just got the sticker. That's teaching. Passing on the truth of God's word. And as I said, we are abundantly blessed here as a church. Uh, he, he continues on here, verse um, uh, 8, at the beginning of verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, encouragement here, uh, that we live out. This is inspiring people to live out uh, the truth of the gospel. This is cheering people on to do what is right. If teaching is about helping people to know what is right, encouragement is about helping people to do what is right. That's what, that's what encouragement is. 
So you're, you're teaching saying, hey, this is the way that you should, should go. And encouragement comes along and starts cheering people on. You can do this. Come on. You can do this. Hey, I know your marriage is tough right now, but guess what? You can do this. Hey, I know this situation is pretty rough right now, but you can do this. Uh, listen, I know you're walking through this stuff right now, and it's just terrible and awful, and the road is just jacked up, messed up. Listen, I, I believe you can do this. You can do this. You know this is the right thing. Or you got somebody who's like, I just don't know if I can pull this. No, 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 no. This is the right thing. This is what we have to do. This is what followers of Jesus do. You can do this. That's why it's a Bible word. You didn't use this word this week, but exhort. You get up underneath them and just start, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do this. And when you exercise that spiritual gift of encouragement, of exhortation, you are in, you're cheering people on. You're, you're encouraging them, inspiring them even, to live out uh, the truth of the gospel. Uh, uh, he moves on here in the middle of verse 8. Hey, the one who contributes or gives in generosity. Giving here is sacrificial, <clears throat> excuse me, it is sacrificial sharing for the glory of God. That's what giving is, sacrificial sharing for the glory of God. Not unlike service. This is one of those things where uh, nobody gets to opt out to say, uh, well, you know, I don't really have the spiritual gift of giving, so zero. You know, that kind of thing. That's not how this works. Uh, we all, every one of us, uh, disciplines ourselves to give, to remind ourselves that God is the one who takes care of us. We don't have to take care of ourselves. In a minute, we're going to have the offering. Some of you send stuff via mail. Some of you do it online. Oh, that's great. But this is just a reminder. It is an intentional reminder that when we give, hey, uh, and we give uh, regularly, we give in a disciplined way, we give tithes and offerings. We've talked about all that before. We do so to say, God, we're dependent upon you for these things. This gift of giving is not that. Discipline giving is for everybody in our church family. This gift of giving is for something, uh, is something to, it, is, it is a sacrificial sharing for the glory of God. So that when you do contribute, man, the kingdom just comes. It comes in somebody's life. The crazy thing about this is uh, oftentimes, I will say this, oftentimes it is, it is um, accompanied by substantial resources, but it's not always. It's not always, because this is an issue of the heart. This kind of generosity is, is an issue of the heart, not the checkbook. So uh, I, I sat in Casablanca, Morocco, in this guy's little lean-to hut. I mean, literally, four walls leaning up against the other four walls of the people around them. Uh, had one room with a little curtain behind for a little sleeping area. And we're sitting in, in this guy's, uh, on his goatskin rug, we're sitting there two or three hours, I think. And he just kept bringing out these little cookies and pastries and stuff and pouring mint tea like it was nobody's business. Why? Because, I mean, the hospitality, yes. But bigger than that, he was a giver. He had this gift. And he gave generously. I, from an earthly standpoint, he was probably the poorest man I've ever met. From a spiritual standpoint, giving, sacrificial sharing to the glory of God. That's what he says. Uh, moving on here. Uh, he who leads with zeal. <clears throat> Leadership, uh, all sorts of definitions. The one that I typically talk about is kind of directional influence. And sometimes uh, it is of greater magnitude than others. Uh, but you do so. And when he do so, he says to do so with zeal, with this energy. Doing so with zeal and energy. Why? Because passion breeds passion. And if you're going to lead as a spiritual gift, you want people to come along behind you, to walk with you, uh, and because you're doing something that God wants done. 
So you do so with this kind of zeal and passion. And lastly, mercy. The one who does acts of mercy to do so with cheerfulness. Why in the world would he say to do so with cheerfulness? Mercy is demonstrating God's kindness to people. And sometimes people don't say thanks for that. I mean, can you imagine such a thing? I mean, you step out and you, you show God's kindness to somebody and they're like, about time. In me... That would create fury, not cheerfulness. Anybody? So when we exercise this spiritual gift of mercy, God's saying to be sure and do so um, with cheerfulness. And then because he wants us to remember that he had mercy on us. And we don't always say thanks either. Uh, You you have mercy on somebody and the opportunity that, that you present to them gets squandered. Not cheerful. He's saying do so with cheerfulness. Mercy to demonstrate God's kindness. I just, I'm going to close with this question. Um, you think about the things that we've read through, these gifts. Which of these, world does our, which of these gifts does our world not need right now? T- timely words from God. Teaching about the truth of who God is and what He's done. Uh, acts of mercy and kindness. Which of these does the world not need? And the answer is none of them. Folks, we're uh, two and a half days into a new presidential administration, and the world hadn't changed a bit. It's still broken and busted, just like it was three days ago. Still desperately in need of Jesus. Our hope and the world's hope does not lie in anything created by man. Our hope and the world's hope lies in the church being the church and doing the things that we've been called to do. Transformation leads to humility. Humility leads to ministry. And folks, these gifts, these spiritual gifts are incredible when they operate inside the church, but it's not only for the church. Because you've got neighbors and uh, co-workers and others who desperately need to know these things. And so you need to see, see, look at your neighborhood. Think about it. Your neighborhood is a ministry, a place for ministry. Your work right now, it is a place for ministry. There's mercy that needs to be given in ministry at your workplace. And there's teaching that needs to happen there in your workplace. And truth that needs to be represented in your workplace. And all these sorts of things. And your family. And on and on and on. Yes, the church. Yes, the family. Yes, the workplace. Yes, the neighborhood. They all need us to operate in the things that God has given us to do. Transformation. This work that God does in us through the gospel, it leads to humility. And because we're not thinking about ourselves, humility leads to ministry, and then God empowers that ministry through his gifts. What are we going to do about that this week? That's the question. The opportunities will come. What are we going to do? Let's pray together.